Max Hall and Melbourne Football Club, you're listening to the Coaches Panel. This is Nat Fife from the Fremantle Footy Club. Trent Cochin from the Richmond Footy Club. Scott Penderbury from the Collingwood Football Club. You're listening to the Coaches Panel. Patrick Cooch from the Carlton Footy Club. It's Rory Sloan here from the Adelaide Crows. This is Tom Mitchell. You're listening to the Coaches Panel. Last year, Errol Goulden was a player that nobody was talking about in the preseason, and then he was in every fantasy and super coach side. By the end of the year, he was one of the top scoring players across the line. But after such a breakout season, is regression the only way? Or is he heading towards the next tier of super coach and AFL fantasy stardom? Hello, it's MJ from the Coaches Panel. I hope you're well and welcome back to another episode of the 50 Most Relevant, where I discuss who I think are the most relevant players to have a conversation about this 2024 Supercoach Dream Team and AFL Fantasy preseason. Throughout the 30s, we've had a bunch of different collaborations with some of my favourite content creators from the fantasy footy community. Joining me on this episode, you've definitely seen him on X, and if you've got some videos that you do on YouTube, chances are, and you're a super coach or an AFL fantasy player, you know this guy. JD, nice to see you. Thanks so much for being on the episode. MJ, thanks for having me. We've got the initials uh, rocking together for this fine episode to discuss the mighty Errol Goulden. He's a fascinating player to unpack. He was incredible for us last year. If we deep dive in to some of that 2023 data, he came in with an average of 111.3 last year in Supercoach. 15 tons and a career high score was his 2023 top score of 164. Means in that format, yeah, he's over that $600,000 marker where some of our top line players are in that format. While in AFL Fantasy and Dream Team, again, priced over that 110 marker, came in with an average of 112.5, 15 tons, a 161. Much like in Supercoach, his season high score was his career high score. And across all the form formats he's a million dollar plus player JD there's so much to love about Errol as a footballer such a smooth mover his footy IQ is for a guy that's only three seasons deep in the AFL almost feels unparalleled in a lot of different areas he's tough he's smart he's quick he's already been a part of the all Australian squad already won his club's best and fairest we'll jump into his fantasy and super coach numbers in a second but just as a pure footballer gosh he's a joy to watch he is, and was actually one of the surprises on Brownlow night as well. I believe he tied for fourth with 27 uh, votes alongside Butters, finishing, what, just four behind the eventual winner in Neil. So really, when you talk about third-year breakouts, Errol was all that and more last year, um, improving his average by something like over 30 points. And funnily enough, I was going through in the research for this, looking at Twitter for some of the prediction threads that they have. Um, for who's going to break out, how many points, all that type of stuff. And the the optimistic people kind of had him from a fantasy perspective, adding on maybe 10 or 15 points, getting to that mid to low 90s range. Oh, will he, won't he be a keeper at that point? And yeah, boy, did he uh, exceed all all those expectations and really be a season-defining peak for a lot of people <laughs> last year. But now moving forward to 2024, we've got to consider with where he's priced at now with that 30 point extra uh, on what he was last year. Is he someone that is a starting pick for us or is he just someone that we have to keep our fingers on the pulse on for the rest of the year? 
That's really one of the big questions we've got to unpack. As we look into that 2023, you mentioned that 30 points per game, 35 points per game of upside based on what he was priced at to what he ended up for us. A 112 average in AFL Fantasy and Dream Team, 15 tons, a really strong conversion rate of hundreds to 120s, nine of them. And there's a ton of 130s, 140s, 150s. This guy, when he's on, there was even, I think, a four or five week stretch in the middle of the year in AFL Fantasy and Supercoach, where he was the number one scorer of the game. He's incredible. Pre-buy, running at a 106.5, which is fine. Post-buy, storms home with a 118 in AFL Fantasy and Dream Team. But it gets better. In the first six games of the year, 89.1 was his average. Last 17 of the year, 120. If we jump over to Supercoach, 111 seasonal average, 15 tons, eight over 120, three scores under 80. So a little bit more basement we've seen in that format than the other. 105 pre-buy, 116 post-buy. And again, if you want to use that same first six, last 17 split, a 90.6 average in Supercoach over the first six games, and then just emerged as a star of the competition in the last 17 in Supercoach. 118.5. Top five in AFL Fantasy last year for total points. Top seven for averages. Top eight for total points in Supercoach last year. Top 16 overall for averages. Top 11 for mids. Like there's not heaps to say other than if we just look at 2023 in isolation, that's almost as good as you can get for a third-year breakout play. I know we've had maybe some better breakout years before, but JD, this was a special Supercoach and Fantasy year. Yeah, and there's so many stats we could point to, and I'm a bit of a stats guy myself. But, you know, even just looking at real footy impact, he led the comp in things like inside 50s per game. I think he led the comp for total meters gained. Um, you know, there's lots of stats like this you can look at. It really showed the impact of this game. And then that, of course, translated to fantasy. Um, it really started with the preseason last year. I'm not sure if you remember, but in that preseason game, he had 177 fantasy, 188 in Supercoach. And there's only a handful of players that have ever done that in preseason games. So I think the most recent uh, before Gulden being Petrarca. And so it was really one of those signs that the breakout was coming. You delivered on that. Uh, and just to compliment your stats there, I'd like to look at the last five and the last 10. And mm. basically across Supercoach and Fantasy, in both the last five, he went 122 in both formats. And in the last 10, he went 122 in Supercoach and 123 in Fantasy. So a really strong finish to round out the year, uh, which kind of just showed that progression. As you mentioned, he started a little bit slow in those first five, six rounds, but then came home really, really strong. And the big question is, can he continue that into this season? Because if he could go at that 120 mark, well, then of course, he's actually a great pick at that 111, 113 price point, depending on which uh, format you're looking at there, and really should be someone that is considered in our starting starts. Uh, there's so much to look at him, and in a moment I want to get your thoughts on this Sydney midfield. Of course, we have to talk about opening round and the impacts that happens for any premium, let alone a premium that's impacted with a week off through there. He, he was this player that played in every position imaginable, it felt. High half forward, wing, centre bounce. And when you run the numbers across it, there's no direct correlation between he scored better and or worse drastically in any one of those spots. And that more is you look over his entire totality of his career, not just 2023, because even in his first season, he was popping monster hundreds for us as a small high half forward. So we know when he's a centre bounce mid, when he's on the outside in the wing, when, when he's pushing from high half forward up across the ground, we know this guy has arguably one of the best ceilings in Supercoach and AFL fantasy for us last year. 
And can he do that heading into 2024? That's probably the question. And so, JD, I want to pose this this question to you, but there's a premise behind it. Mm. Um, I'm seeing as common thought across the fantasy community, which sometimes group think is really helpful or, or an agreed ideology is a really good thing. It means we all see and reflect and I agree with the same thing. But I am seeing this popular notion that Errol Goulden can't be a starting squad. And we'll unpack that in a moment. But my question is this. Outside of the opening round and the early buy that the Swans have, take that ability to use that argument out of the Errol Goulden conversation. From your perspective, what is the narrative for why? you can't start Errol Goulden if the opening round and the early buy are not able to be used. What, what's your take for why we might look at better as an upgrade than a trade target for Errol? Uh, there's three things I'll point to here then if we're going to um, start to shift into maybe the why not. So the one other thing I did want to call out before we jump into those Please. was that the Swans have uh, returned to training. I'm still waiting with bated breath on actually some of the training reports, but he did win out their 2K time trial post-Christmas. So obviously in great Nick, you know, time trials aren't the bell and end all, but obviously just a little positive sign that there's maybe more to come from Errol. All right. So uh, why shouldn't we start him uh, beyond, you know, obviously the buy round considerations. Mm-hmm. So I, I think there's um, you know, potentially a couple of things here. So, Firstly, when players break out as big as what we've seen, um, you know, and go back and look at these breakouts in previous years where they're having these increments of 30 or more points, you tend to see regression or some level of consolidation in the following year. It is pretty rare for a player to have that large of a breakout and then take that next step as well. And for Goulden, that really would be going from that 110 to a 120 plus range if he's going to be a worthwhile start. And that would put him as the premier mid of the competition, which is a pretty big gap for you to be wagering on as a starting pick. And I can see people shying away from it based on that reason. Uh, the second um, look uh, or concern or consideration I'd have is what's going to happen in the Swans midfield in 2024. They've recruited in some talent with Jordan and Adams with talk of both of those wanting more time in the midfield. You've of course got Sheldrick as well, who, looked fantastic last year and really should be getting more time in the midfield as well. So where does that leave Goulden in all of this? As you mentioned, he's uh, a bit of a unicorn in the sense that he could play in a whole bunch of different positions and score well in them. But a lot of people like to pick those heavy inside mids if you're targeting these gun midfielders. And for good reason too, if you look at all the top scorers across the midfield line, it is very rare to find a top level mid like Goulden um, uh, which has less than 40% CBAs across the course of year. And that's where he was at last year. These players tend to be a little bit less reliable. And that'd probably be the third point as to why you wouldn't start him. These players that play more outside can have those big ceiling games that we've discussed with Goulden. And if he has those to start the year and you're on him, feels terrible. But he's also going to drop in maybe some of those 60s, some 80s, uh, especially if he gets tagged or the Swans have a down game. And that could be your opportunity to jump on him at a later point in the year. Uh, so those are probably some of the, the reasons beyond, of course, the buys and all that fun stuff um, that you might shy away from. And just to bolster that, we did start to see him get some attention as the year went on. There were only a few tags and not all of them successful. I think his first one kind of came in about round 10, where I want to say Scott from North tagged him. He still managed to kind of ton up in in fantasy and get close and super coach. And then towards the back end of the year, uh, he was tagged, I want to say... Um, 
pretty effectively in round 19, I want to say, against Freo, or at least they weren't allowing any outside ball. And he was, I think, on ball for that and just had a shocker of a game until uh, the fourth quarter where he got to junk up and save from fantasy. And then, uh, funnily enough, I think it was uh, round 22 where Miller from Gold Coast took Miller, um, gave him a bit of attention as well. That was only for the first quarter and a bit, I want to say. And that really did limit his effectiveness early on. And once again, he still had an all right score, uh, 90 in Supercoach and 88 in Fantasy. But you can see teams starting to put in a little bit more work. And this was around the time where he was having best on grounds, basically every game that he wasn't getting attention. So he definitely seems to be the type of player that could be having more work put into him by um, uh, opposition scouts in the year ahead, which of course is then going to introduce some variance into his scoring as well. Yeah, hundred percent. So much before really the middle portion of last year, you would say it was Chad Warner was the tag target and that burst of speed to get out of stoppage that failed grand final against Geelong. You can go back and remember that and that surge that the Swans had in that season. That's like, Oh, he's the guy. And then before that, it was Luke Parker. I, I tend to agree how oppositions choose to tag and negate opposition players partially depends on game style and the cattle they have. But Errol, given any sense of space, will carve you up. Leading the competition per game for inside 50s, you mentioned leading in the competition in a lot of other statistical headlines. This is a guy that if you give him an inch, he will take a mile. And so absolutely, I can see teams trying to re restrict how much freedom he gets in the ground, whether or not they do that early on or to success is ultimately something that we see. There's another dynamic that's changed in this Swans midfield. I'm keen on your take. So much of the talk around Brody Grundy has been him coming into this side means he's a ruck premium at a discounted price. Well, if he makes the 50 most relevant, let's be honest, we all know he's making it, but when he makes the 50 <laughs> most relevant, we'll unpack that. But the thing that, Brody offers to a side is he's he's okay at hit outs he's not bad but he's okay is he really is another midfielder just at a supreme height how do you see that working for us because Mills we don't have an exact time of when he's coming back and when or whether he does look we did an episode on him in the 50 most relevant early in the preseason so you can go and check that out Taylor Adams how much mid, how much not? Luke Parker, does he sacrifice to get some of these guys in? Robottom, is he the defensive guy? Warner, Sheldrick, you mentioned. James Jordan, is he inside, is he outside? And then Grundy, let alone Errol. So how much do you think Brody actually impacts the ceiling of some of these guys, or do you think that's an unrelated impact? So it's, it's a really interesting point that you bring up with, and I don't want to you know, just disclaim, I don't want to profess to be an expert or have an answer in this, but I'll just talk through my thinking out loud to, to, to give you something to work with here. There's really only a handful of other rucks that we've seen in recent times that kind of form into that extra midfielder that we talk about, uh, or at least have the same presence around the ground. So Grundy, Gorn and English, I would say are the, the, big three that actually do it effectively and have done so at an elite level. And when you think about the midfields they've supported, uh, Gorn with like Clary and Petrarca, uh, English with what we've seen last year. I mean, how many tons did we get out of Bont, Liber, Trelaw, et cetera, uh, even McRae to a lesser extent. Yeah. And Grundy, we've seen it in the past with uh, Collingwood midfield as well. To me, these extra midfielders actually seem to help the scoring rather than hinder it. So I have a feeling, if anything, it's positive. It's neutral to positive. I don't and see it as being a negative. He may give up a little bit on the 
hit out count maybe for example but they also tend to be then more involved in uh, defensive efforts like tackling which then create repeat stoppages which then create opportunities for these midfielders to to win and use the ball so I have a feeling uh, if anything it'll be a slight positive for that Swans midfield to have someone like Grundy in there uh, as, yeah. as their ruck. Uh, there's a really great shout. Let's look at this fixture now for the Swans. He's playing opening round. If you're just really getting into your super coach dream team and AFL fantasy opening round, the scores don't count for your team's lockouts rolling through round one, but they will impact the price cycles and each format has a different element of what that looks like. That'll be unpacked in a future strategy episode that we give you. But he plays against the Demons in opening round. Then the Swans and he play the Pies, the Bombers, the Tigers, the Eagles. They share a week off with Collingwood and then they're back in round six. They're back on deck against the Suns. Their second bye for the year is round 12, meaning the Swans ultimately have two weeks off where the season counts for us. But teams like Dockers, Power, Eagles, Cats, Hawks, Saints, Dogs, Crows, all play with continuity through there. So the early rounds, and because of opening round, we have a bunch of weeks that are best 18. And a popular narrative is if it's a premium and they're at the quote unquote higher to top end, don't really present value, a common approach is just fade and go and look as an upgrade. We want to get to that in a a moment. But JD, I'm, I'm keen on this take, and we do still need to unpack this opening round stuff a little more around Errol. What do starters that are bullish on Errol, that they go, I know what he can be, I've seen the progression, I've seen the scoring is, you know, you talked about some of that last five, last 10 scoring. That's top of the tree scoring across all of the formats. So it's in his wheelhouse and he's done it for a long period of time. If you are bullish on starting Errol, you do have to navigate those early buys. What does that mean for you with the other 29 selections you do? Because there is a way you can start with him, but talk me through the the mindset, the structure, and the players coaches have to consider or fade because they're now bullish on Errol. Yeah, so I think you you started with a a really good point there, which is... uh, Firstly, for those that consider him to be valuable or if he's just a a kind of level pegging. And for me, if a player is not value, especially in fantasy, the format is all about value. If I don't see at least five points upside in someone like him, he's off the list. But if I do see that value, then we're moving to step two of let's have a look at by round consideration, who else is playing. And I think the struggle for people may be that you've already got Grundy playing on that buy. He's going to be a very heavy selected pick. You're going to have uh, Collingwood, so a lot of day cost owners as well. All of a sudden, you're now adding a third player. And I think that's where you might get into strife of, even if I see the upside on him, I have to be careful about doing this. And if some of those picks that we talked about, like a Jordan and Adams, a Sheldrick pop up as players that we have to have, all of a sudden you're carrying too much through the buys. And I think that's what's going to be the big limiter on people picking Goulden. It may be partly that they don't believe that that extra five to 10 points is there, but then it also may be there's actually a lot of other options I really like from that that buy, and that's going to make me stop uh, from picking him up. Now, I do want to add one thing though, and, Mm. you know, play the other side here. Let's go through those four matchups again before the buy. So it was Collingwood, Essendon, Richmond, and Eagles. Correct. Should we go through the scores yeah. that he had against these teams? All right. Please. So Essendon, round 20, 152 Supercoach, 142 Fantasy. Uh, Richmond, 
Round 17, 143 Supercoach, uh, 126 Fantasy. West Coast, round 15, 164 Supercoach, 145 Fantasy. And Collingwood, round 8, 156 uh, Supercoach, 161 Fantasy. So there was, I think in Supercoach, there was no score below 140 and three mm-hmm. were above 150. And in Fantasy, I don't think there was anything below like 130. Yeah. These are insane scores he had against these four sides. And so if that's the run-up into the bye... If even if you decide that you want to move him on at that point, you'd be thrilled because you'd easily have the best player in the competition to that point. He would have made you a bunch of money. But uh, yeah, that's uh, really crazy fixturing that he has in terms of how he scored against those teams last year. Yeah, it's huge. And if he gets on a run like that, yeah, it's a significant amount of your salary cap. But my, oh my, all of a sudden it feels wrong to say, but the idea of selling high on him, he could be up at 1.1%. $1.15 million in AFL fantasy and dream team and, and surge past that 700,000 in super coach. And the things that allows you to do with the volume of trades and the way the trading games work opens so much up, let alone hold him. But I love that you've done that analysis for us. And if Not you, to mention, are, you just got, got four captain scores, you got four oh, big captains, 300 games. plus every week, isn't it? <laughs> like it's that sets you apart while people are best 18. Don't forget that best 18ing, try to figure it out. Go and check that out for yourself. Where does it sit in the rounds for you? Is there a guy in your team right now that is a safety captaincy option? Can you put the VC on him during that four-game stretch? That's the beauty of how you should use January and February is looking at all of the nuances. Don't just go, oh, he's got the early buy. I'm out. JD's just giving you some gold. The vice captain could be there for you with the greatest ceiling of all. And now it creates pathways for you. But if you're big on Errol, it does mean, as as JD's pointed out, what you do with Grundy, what you do with Adams, what you do with Dacos, what you do with Sheldrick, what you do with Jordan, these are the compounding things. Because while you might be able to still have them all, you're now opening up the risk profile of how many cash cows are on your field and potentially undoing some of that maybe ceiling work that Errol gives you by having to field the 50s and 60s when others are getting 70s and 80s from their cows that week. So so that's the balancing act for us through there. I, I tend to lead and lean right now that he's more an upgrade candidate for me, not just because of the early buys. There's a couple of other nuances that we've tapped you know, kind of talked our way through this episode. But JD, we'll talk draft in a moment. Are are you leaning towards that too? There's clearly a pathway you can start him and it's absolutely okay to do with a few variables alongside. Are are you leaning towards an upgrade though with Errol as well? The more I look at the spreadsheet and see those purple numbers, the more I want to start him. But no, he's, he's very much in the camp of someone I'm less likely to start just given a lot of the factors we talked about. There's actually two other small little tidbits I wanted to leave you with. Please. And I wanted to leave these to last because they're much smaller sample sizes. So I don't draw as much from them, but there were four games that Errol played without Callum Mills last year. And in those four games, he averaged just the 91 super coach and just 100 points in fantasy, obviously still good numbers for where he was at last year, but with what you're investing this year, those seem pretty scary. And if Mills is someone that may miss the start of the year, given what's happened with his shoulder, Once again, it points to him being maybe an upgrade target when someone like a Mills returns and takes on some more of those defensive duties, allowing Goulden to focus on the offensive side of his game. And then the other part was just looking at his CBA splits last year. So he had five games with 50% or more CBAs. 
And in those, he had just 99 super coach and just the 104 fantasy. So once again, it's a very small sample size in both of these things. But if I'm hearing that Mills isn't going to be playing and Goulden may be playing more inside, maybe these are things that I then want to avoid. Typically, they'd be green lights for us. Get a yeah. premium high scoring midfielder out. Give me more CBAs and I'll get more points. But Goulden might just be one of those that actually putting him on the outside where he's done his best work is where you want to leave him. Uh, and seeing the the other side is a little bit scary. Thankfully, we've got round zero to solve all of these problems for us. Yeah, that's going to be a huge. And the, what we see from opening rounds conclusion to that Thursday night traditional clash of Richmond and Carlton. Oh, boy. There is going to be a lot of fantasy footy content consumed from all of your favorite content creators because there is going to be so much to dissect and learn. And honestly, a lot of changes to structures and strategies through there. Rightly or wrongly, it's going to be a chaotic week for a lot of people. From a draft perspective, what does it mean for Errol? Based on what he did last year, and so many people do choose to draft, especially at the high end, based off previous season's data, and then look for a little bit more value outside of those first 30 to 50 selections. So based on that, I don't see how he's not someone's M1 in an AFL fantasy draft. And then depending on in Supercoach, how highly you rank your rucks, especially, and maybe a top-end defender or forward or two, he might slide to someone's M2 if they go mid-mid back-to-back. Otherwise, you know, you lock in a big ruck early and you can happily get him as an M1 in the second round. Uh, what do you take on that? Are you in a similar um, mindset of that, at JD? Or have you got a different take on Errol's draft range? Yeah, and w- one thing I love about Errol as well is actually his durability, uh, especially when you compare to some of these others at the top end that might have a little bit more injury history. I think Goulden only missed, uh, maybe, I want to say five games in his first year with a bit of a stress flare up in his foot, I want to say it was. But he still managed 17 games that year and then played uh, everything the last two years. So that durability side obviously gets me really excited about him. And uh, I think in draft that bumps him up the ratings a little bit for me as well. But uh, yeah, I I would have him easily as a top eight midfield in both comps. So really just comes down to part of your draft strategy of where you're drafting your midfields compared to some of the scarcity that we may be seeing on other lines, whether it be uh, in the rucks or in the forwards uh, or even, even in the defense a little bit. Uh, and just where he fits in. So yeah, I could see formats where he falls and and does end up being someone's M2, but I would imagine he's M1 for a lot of people and I'd be very comfortable with that. Yeah, you feel like you're loving life if he's your M2. You probably don't have a top-end ruck at that point, but look, you might be okay if you've got him at M2. Hey, mate, you've been an absolute superstar. It's been so good chatting Errol with you, but you're not just a guest on the coaches panel. You make fantasy footy content for people. Uh, Where can they find you on social media? And also where can they consume some of the great content you're giving us in the video formats? Yeah. So funnily enough, I'm normally on camera. uh, And for those that are on YouTube, you'll notice I've been off it. Um, MJ caught a glimpse of my face beforehand and was like, sorry, dude, you'll have to turn that off. And it's sorry, man, that hair's a problem. We've got a hair thing going. It's yeah. been a very rough uh, 20, 30 minutes kind of reconciling <laughs> with my ego. But um, yeah, normally you can find me on YouTube at Jackson Davey or on X or Twitter or whatever you call it at Jackson Davey as well. Uh, on Twitter is a great follow just because I tend to try and um, tweet preseason stats as we go along, especially when we start getting some of those preseason games. Uh, and then, yeah, on YouTube uh, at Jackson Davey, I usually do team reveals. I'm mainly focused on the Supercoach side, but I've won... 
what fantasy hats in all three of my fantasy seasons. So I try and do a little bit of, you know, here's my team, here's what I'm thinking. It's definitely not my format of choice though. And I'm also part of the Fantasy Take TV team run by Supercoach Jords. Uh, so if you're over on his channel uh, or checking out the podcast on Spotify or wherever else people put podcasts these days, you might hear my voice there as well. Uh, if you've missed any of those links or places, the good news is we're going to pop them in the description of this episode. JD, you're a superstar, mate. Thanks so much for being a guest on the 50 Most Relevant. Thanks for having me, MJ. Looking forward to hearing yeah. the rest. Uh, well, there's still plenty more to go. We've got, what, 20 down, 30 more to go. If you're going to go and read the articles of the players we've revealed so far, they are online for you now at coachespanel.tv. You can join the conversation with the Coaches Panel community and the fantasy community at large at X, Instagram, also on Facebook. The details of where you can find us on those but it's pretty much just search coaches panel, but I'll put the links in the description of this episode. And if you are loving these audio podcasts, make sure you leave us five-star rating and review. And if you are watching the video, it's true story. The, the video just wouldn't work for Jackson. Uh, he's a good looking human being. We'd love to have had him <laughs> on otherwise, but uh, make sure you go and subscribe and turn the notifications on our YouTube channel, as well as the one that Jackson has just mentioned. He's given you some great video content through the preseason. And again, it will be G the season proper. In 30 seconds, I've got a quick clue for you about who is next in the 50 most relevant. But if you are loving the 50 most relevant, supporting the coaches panel is something that you can do that's super practical and easy that helps us make the content during the season and in the preseason for you. Whether it be at our breakout tier, whether it be at a cash cow level or the premium tiers, there is a Patreon level that's right for you with different levels of rewards different group accesses, additional content, and a ton of other rewards that I haven't even mentioned. Our breakout and premium tier level supporters get these audio podcasts in the preseason a day early, as well as other in-season episodes. So if you want to get ahead of the pack, become a premium or a breakout tier supporter, and you will get these audio podcasts the day ahead. The details for our Patreon also in the description of this episode. All right. Who's tomorrow in the 50 most relevant? He's a guy that's got some tons across the formats. He's a guy that's changed clubs in the off-season. And he's kind of snuck under the radar for some of us. And then for others, he is someone that is deeply locked into our side because we look at that price point, we look at that legacy performance, and while he might not deliver tons of tons, it might just be enough for us, for our starting squads in 2024. Who is this club changer that's got really good history in his role that for some you haven't thought of? And for others, he was one of your first picked. Find out tomorrow in the 50 Most Relevant.